all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back and happy Monday. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today's show is all about the skin and wound care. And we'll probably even get a little into um, your feet and some foot care as well, because that goes hand in hand. And my guest today is Gail Harrell. She is a family nurse practitioner as well as a wound care nurse practitioner, which is a very, very interesting specialty that we're going to learn a little bit more about this morning. And so if you guys have questions about your skin, about your feet, about maybe something that's not healing well, we would love to take your call today and talk with you about that. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or if you need a little bit more time or don't want to be on the radio, you can email me your question at fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Gail. Good morning. How are you today? Doing well, thank you. Good. I'm so glad you were able to to come on with us today, and thank you for taking time from your schedule. You are in clinic today in Kosciuszko, so shout out to all the folks in Kosciuszko that are hopefully listening to you this morning. Yes. (laughs) All right, so you are a nurse practitioner, and you also do wound care. So tell me a little bit about what the specialty of wound care is. Well, um, the specialty of wound care is specifically... um, a certified uh, course or program that um, you go to courses to uh, improve your knowledge base of wounds, what causes the wounds, how to treat the wounds, uh, and there is specialized training for that. Uh, One of the uh, two that are specifically um, noted nationally is uh, one is the wound ostomy continence nursing certification. And there is a certification with the AAWC, um, which they are a wound care organization. Um, There are others that are acceptable, uh, but you always want to have um, a wound care person who is nationally certified. Right. means that they've got that background knowledge that they need to be able to assess and treat these wounds that are going on. Now, you mentioned several other big words in that. You said wound ostomy continence nurse. So what is the the ostomy and the continence part? Okay. Well, um, nursing um, from the Wound wound Ostomy Care Nursing Association, uh, they have uh, a, a tremendous amount of information and education. And they are also the, one of the national certified organizations so that they uh, train, they educate um, with a continuing education, and they provide the certification um, for those nurses that go to different facilities or different organizations 
or groups that have a program for an education program. Uh, there are several across the, uh, the nation, and I, I would not be able to mention them all, but they have a list on the Wound Ostomy Care Nurse mm-hmm. um, website. Uh, primarily what wound nurses do are to, um, they can treat the wound after it's been diagnosed uh, and a uh, order has been given by a provider, uh, be that may a uh, physician, uh, a nurse practitioner, uh, phys- uh, physician, physician assistant, assistant mm-hmm. uh, anyone that who is uh, has the authority through legal, you know, uh, the legal um, plan to be able to uh, act to diagnose and uh, treat. Yep. So you know, it's a great specialty. How did you get started in that? Well, uh, as a nurse uh, at the University Medical Center, uh, I became uh, interested in wound care and I associated myself with the uh, plastic surgery department and a doctorate of nursing who did research in skin and wounds and began my process of education. And when I became uh, interested in going back to nurse practitioner school, that was my primary focus uh, in everything that I researched and the extracurricular education I did in wounds. Because many people think that wound care is just changing a dressing. Right. But it's much more involved in the fact that you may treat a wound very similar um, regardless of what causes it, but we worry about what did cause it. Right. You know, is it diabetes or is it vascular or is it pressure? You know, because if you can't fix the problem, you may not be able to treat the wound. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that, that there are so many different causes of that. And we're going to get into each one of those that you talked about, the diabetic issues, the vascular issues. But we're going to go quickly to the phones and talk with um, Emily that's on the road. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay, thank you. All right. How can we help you today? I have malabsorption syndrome okay. due to celiac disease that I only recently learned I have. Okay. And I had laparoscopic uh, liver surgery in January, and the incisions are still not quite healed after all that time. Okay. And I want to know if she has any advice. You have any advice for me? Okay. Okay. I did not understand what her... Um, diagnosis was. I think she has uh, celiac disease with a, she has got some malabsorption issues going on. And then what procedure did you have on? You had a laparoscopic liver Liver procedure? Okay. So you've got a couple of little lap incisions, like two or three? Okay. And they're, are they still draining anything or? Uh, They're not draining, but they still have scabs on them. They haven't healed up. And when was the surgery? January. January. Okay. All right, Gail. What you got? Okay. All right, so um, it is not unusual for uh, those sites um, to, be, to to scab over, and because I, I I'm not um, I was not there for the surgery, and even though it was laparoscopic, you know I would not know what were the underlying issues might be uh, if there aren't if there's not any redness, and if there's not any drainage, um, you may have a, still a little tenderness. But I would probably not do anything, and it no, it isn't unusual to have a scab there, you know, sometimes for quite a long time because typically you have more antipost tissue in the um, in that area of the body. 
so it sometimes takes a little longer. Okay. Well, my surgeon said they should have healed by now. Okay. Then, then your surgeon would need to refer you to a local um, person who is certified in wound care. Um, and and I, you know, not knowing where you're from, um, Atlanta. 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 Well, Atlanta has multiple. Um, and if I were going to just suggest a place to check first, I would certainly look at Emory. Okay. Um, Emory, Emory has a wound clinic, I know, and, and that's the only one I know about. I know there are others, uh, but they are well known for their wound care um, and would certainly be a good place to start. Thank you very much. Thank you for your call, Emily. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that was some good advice that you gave there, uh, Gail. And let's talk about these wounds that may or may not heal according to what we traditionally think. So, you know, there's a traditionally expected course of wound healing, um, but sometimes things don't necessarily go along uh, along that plan. And so you mentioned some kind of things that may can affect wound healing that would make it be prolonged out. What are some of those things? Okay. Well, first, let's start with, you know, what is the difference between acute wounds and chronic? And acute wounds are wounds that might be caused from multiple of things. Could be a surgical wound, could be an accident, you know, it could be different things. And what we think about acute wounds are, if they are getting better, and how we, we continue to think about that is, if they have no redness out to the outside, no smelly drainage, um, if they are getting smaller by 50% after two weeks, then we say that they are moving along a good trajectory, mm-hmm. that they're making good progress. Because depending on the size of the wound, um, a small nickel size wound is going to get well faster if it's acute than a large surgical wound right. that might be six inches long. It would take a little longer, but it still might be healing Correctly, and but just in a, uh, it just has, takes a little long because it's large. Right, those both aren't going to be gone after two weeks. Right, <laughs> and so if if they are continuing to get fifty percent smaller every two weeks, then we say they're doing okay. All right, well let's go to the phones and talk to Will in Meridian, who has a question about a wound that took too long to heal. Good morning, Will. Morning. Hey how, there. How are you? I'm all right. So Good. this summer I was working in Maryland. I work uh, for an organization that provides recreation for people with special needs. And I had an accident, I slipped and fell, and I, I had a trimalleolar fracture of my ankle. And um, I had to have the, you know, the OR surgery where they go in and put in the plates and screws. Mm-hmm. I have two plates and 11 screws. And two weeks later, you know, when they take the, the, the cast off and you're supposed to begin, you know, walking and whatever and take the staples out, when they took the cast off, it had not healed. It was... Mm-hmm wide open and terrifying it looked awful and um it had developed staph infection oh goodness and and my question is how can that develop when you have on a cast you know like i know i know staph is everywhere right but then after that i had to have two more surgeries where Mm -hmm. they had to go in and put in antibiotic beads and i was in hospital for two weeks and then it developed an immersa oh goodness yes and then i had to take antibiotics for a very long very long time yes all right, Gail, what do you think about this? Uh, always, um, you know, we have to be reminded that once you have MRSA, MRSA, um, you are a chronic, I want to say a chronic carrier. That may not be exactly the right term, but you're very susceptible 
to recurrent MRSA. Um, when you have a foreign body, uh, like the, the plate and the screws, uh, in your inside, sometimes uh, it's almost impossible to um, completely remove all the infection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we wish that that was not the case, but long-term antibiotics, um, if that doesn't resolve the issue, at some point, um, if, if your bones have healed, those plates and screws may have to be removed, especially if the wound is not closing and not staying closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, just like he mentioned, and we've actually uh, lost him on the line, so we'll just carry on with our conversation about his situation. Um, you know, staff is everywhere. Staff's a bacteria, lives on the skin. So just because you have a cast on doesn't prevent, you know, staff from getting to the different areas. There's that still a, a portal of entry there. And then when we're talking about wound healing, you know, inflammation is kind of one of the first steps of, of healing anything, you know, a cut or a wound. Right. But it's a very structured process of inflammation. And you shouldn't stay in that inflammatory phase for too long or the wound doesn't heal like like it should. And so having foreign body in there can prolong it. And then certainly once that infection sets in, um, it's going to keep you in that inflammatory phase for too long and delay that wound healing. And sometimes they'll pop back open the incisions will pop back open and can just be you know a pretty nasty little situation going on that takes several surgeries to fix or lots of different kind of dressing changes to take care of so i'm sorry that that happened to him um i'm glad that it sounds like he's on the road to recovery um from that um but that is a, a good illustration of of what happens sometimes when the wound doesn't heal as expected that that's correct and you know um it, it's not always foreseeable it, it, right. um, from from the provider side. Uh, we just never know uh, from patient to patient um, when this is going to con- occur or reoccur. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it continues to reoccur, uh, that always has to be an option. That if possible, um, the plate the plates or screws might have to be removed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we just you just that's an individual thing and has to be decided on between the patient. And the provider. Yeah. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about MRSA when we come back from our break. So we do have some open lines. And if you guys want to join in our conversation and have questions about skin and wounds, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after the break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. 
This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio, and I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. And joining me today is nurse practitioner Gail Harrell, and we are talking all about skin and wounds today. Gail is a uh, wound care specialist, and we've had some great callers so far that have had some questions about wounds that aren't healing as expected. And we would love to talk with you today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 And as always, you can email me at fit at mpbonline.org. And Gail, before we went on the break, um, we had kind of uh, towed around the um, notion of MRSA and that methicillin-resistant staph. Um, and you mentioned being a carrier for MRSA. What does it mean to be a carrier for that? Well, if you've had MRSA before, um, then sometimes it goes and hides within your body. It's not infecting you. You're not sick. Uh, but maybe something flares up that's a little bit irregular in the body for whatever reason, and it will show back up again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Typically speaking, a lot of times it will show up in places where you've already had a a skin problem or a wound problem anyway. And so um, we always worry when a certain spot uh, continues to re-ulcerate over and over that uh, we've got a very um, embedded uh, infection that uh, isn't always... um, completely removed. Right, right. And we're going to go over some strategies to treat MRSA in a, in a moment, but I do want to get to um, Becky in Ocean Springs. Good morning, Becky. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Well, good. Thanks for calling. What can we do for you today? Well, I was real excited to hear your topic because um, my two-year-old grandson has a lot of skin issues. Okay. He has eczema on his little legs. And recently, his toes have started peeling on the ends, like Hmm. just uh, all of his toes are affected and they're peeling, and sometimes he gets little cracks on there in the creases of his toes on the bottom. And his doctor doesn't know what's going on with it. He says it shouldn't be um, anything to do with the eczema. But we're wondering, do we need to take him to a dermatologist? Mm -hmm. Is there a way to treat it? Right. What should we do or what's going on? Right. So uh, could I ask, could I ask yeah. a question? Sure. Um, does your uh, grandchild have uh, any signs and symptoms of asthma? No. Okay. Well, eczema, we know, um, sometimes goes along with mm-hmm. other health conditions that aren't always necessarily seen when you mm-hmm. look at the, uh, the person. Okay. Um, Eczema is is a um, disorder of the skin, yes, but it also uh, goes inside as well in some of the tissue mm-hmm. um, and can be seen in other parts of the body, not just on the skin. Okay. Um, dermatology would probably be the ideal person to go to, and I certainly would. Okay. Um, I can tell you maybe a little something that would help, you know, a treat if you've got an ulcer, uh-huh. but... The dermatologist could help you to treat the eczema um, much better, and that okay. would be the person uh, that I would certainly would take my child to if, it, okay. if uh, I was going to do that. Can I ask you a qu- some connection questions? Sure. Lay them on me. Like he um, has had, I call it hoof and mouth, but it's foot and mouth disease right. twice. Okay. 
and he this last time he had blisters mm-hmm. on the interior of his um, anus. Oh, bless him! And he was just miserable. Mm-hmm. He had blisters in his mouth. Um, is there a dietary concern here, where he's maybe allergic to, you know, wheat or milk right. or? What's going on? I mean, right. a dermatologist would be the first stop, you think? To... I, I definitely agree with a dermatologist because they okay. can also do you know some, if they feel like he needs skin testing to look mm-hmm. for any of those um, food okay. allergies, they can do that. That was going to be my question was that he had any kind of um, infections recently because mm-hmm. particularly with hand, foot and mouth, um, it can cause the peeling on the feet that, that you're kind of uh-huh. describing okay. um, with some of that. Um, you know, that's a viral infection. Right. Um, um, normally they don't get it quite that frequently back to back. So my, mm-hmm. you know, my other question would be, has he had other frequent upper respiratory tract infections or GI infections or anything like that? No, not, not, no. not okay. you know, like they're back to back or anything right. like that. Okay. You know, that's Nothing just one thing we always worry about is, is their immune system, you know, working right. as, as well as it needs to be when we see them kind of getting these mm-hmm. um, frequent infections like that. Okay. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, does he go without shoes and socks a lot, which a lot of kids do. Yeah, um, he does. Yeah. <laughs> he runs through the yard yeah. crazy like that all the time. Yeah, sometimes I see kids, it, primarily if it's um, a lot of rough rocks or concrete or that kind of stuff, when they're doing that outside, it'll kind of keep their feet scuffed up a little bit on the bottom and make them more prone to peeling. Okay. Um, the flip side of that is if they are wearing little socks all the time and it holds all the moisture in their uh, yeah. socks, it'll cause that same peeling as well. Well, we so, bought some cotton socks good. thinking maybe that would help. Yeah, and but. just change them frequently. If they, you know, if he gets sweaty, pull mm-hmm. those suckers off. You know, two-year-olds right. don't sweat a ton, um, but okay. you don't want them to stay wet. But, you know, with what you're describing and without being able to, for me to see it and touch it and poke on it, mm-hmm. I would say dermatology, and in particular a pediatric dermatologist, if Quick. you can find one, okay. uh, would be the best um, spot um, for you yeah, to be able to do that. Too, yeah. because well, I guess there are some on the coast. Yeah, and if you have trouble um, finding one, just shoot me an email. You know, our email is fit at mpbonline.org, and I will mm-hmm. pull in some. Uh, I will find somebody for you okay all right great thank you you're welcome you have a great monday okay and thank you for your call you're welcome bye-bye bye-bye all right let's go to uh frank and jackson good morning frank good morning two things Mm -hmm. uh for the folks with eczema yes there's a 30-year study called the china study that says concluded that if you want to get rid of chronic diabetes and eczema and all of these uh, immune system problems we're having here in the West go on a, a more of a raw food diet. Mm-hmm. My question is, um, I'm a cancer patient, okay. and I go to MD Anderson in Houston quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And one day I went and they gave me a blood test, and my ANC number was less than one. ANC is the um, a neutrophil number, right. which is a measure of your uh, activity in your immune system. Right. And rather than send me home, because they knew I came a long way, they told me to do five minutes of any combination of push-ups, sit-ups, chin-ups, and come back. Mm-hmm. And they took my blood uh, sample again, and my immune system number shot up from less than one to three. Wow. Leads me to believe that exercise is even more important than we have been telling people. And it wasn't strenuous exercise. Right. I also looked at the exercise program they put the, the astronauts on. 
in space and before they go into space. And it's not designed to promote people sweating. It's designed to tone your muscles. My question in terms of wound care, how important is exercise in the healing of wounds? Excellent question, Frank. I know my thoughts on it. Gail, what are your thoughts? That the, I, I agree uh, totally uh, that any, you know, exercise always helps diabetes. Um, the problem is, and also vascular issues, uh, even arterial, uh, exercise it does improve your condition. If you are able to do that, depending, and you would always want to get your health care provider, whoever is over your health care, to make sure that you are physically able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can, it is always a, a good idea because it makes, number one, your bones stronger, your muscles uh, improve, which gives also a better um, squeeze to make your muscles, uh, your, your blood flow move. So if you've got better blood flow, you've got better access of uh, moving in good things to your body cells and bad things out of your body. So absolutely, I agree that uh, exercise, if you can, is always an advantage. Yeah, I agree. And and just like he mentioned, you know, I, I don't know about that rapid of a turnaround and an increase in ANC. I've not looked at that data, but it does boost the immune system when we exercise. So we we definitely want folks, if when they're able, when they've been cleared by a healthcare provider, to be able to exercise. Now, there is a point where you can overdo it. It is a dose, yeah. kind of dose response. So once you get to a certain point, um, too much exercise can negatively impact the immune system as well. But getting that 30 minutes a day, five days per week of that moderate intensity exercise has so many health benefits, not only for the immune system, but as you mentioned, for metabolic functioning and improved blood flow to all these different areas. So definitely something that um, you should be participating in. And it doesn't have to be super hard exercises. It can just be a walk or a bike or a swim, um, something that you enjoy uh, doing. All right, we're going to move on to uh, Clay and Macomb. Good morning, Clay. Hey, hi there. How are you? I'm just fine. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Good. Um, I hate to be skeptical of anything mm-hmm. I hear on MPB, <laughs> but I heard something on Fix It 101 a few days ago that involved wound care. And when I heard you all on, I thought I'd call and get your thoughts. Okay. The, gu- the guys were saying that um, a good way to... Uh, a good thing to put on a, a cut when you cut yourself and uh, and there's nothing else around is super glue. Okay. And somebody even said, uh, no, don't use liquid bandage. you got to use the real super glue. You just put it on and it's fine. So I just wanted to see what's your, what's your view on that? Uh, well, I guess you want me to answer that in. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I would love use, that, Gail. <laughs> I don't use super glue. Uh, I don't recommend super glue. I don't know who made the recommendation, so I, I, I don't want to contradict them, you know, because I don't know what uh, what area they're coming from. But um, that super glue is not standard of care uh, as far as my education goes, and I've not seen that in, in the um, national guidelines. So... I would not. I personally would not recommend it. Well, it it kind of made me wince when I heard it because I was thinking about the the removal part. The removal part. Yeah, that that does sound like it might hurt. Now, what I will say is, you know, the most important thing you can do when you sustain an injury, um, wherever it is, is to. Um, 
get it clean. So the first step you'd want to do is make sure that you wash it out. And it doesn't have to be with anything fancy. It doesn't have to be with saline. It doesn't have to be with hydrogen peroxide. Just some good old running water through there. Because what we would not want to have happen is however you choose to close that wound, whether it be with a super glue or whether it be with a good old Band-Aid or some butterfly strips or whatever you have laying around, you don't want to close it up if it's got dirt and debris in it because that's going to make it stay again in that inflammatory phase for too long and it's and not going to heal. Let me add to that. Um, uh, the other thing about, you mentioned uh, hydrogen peroxide. Mm-hmm. Many people use that on a regular basis. I know. And so I want to mention the fact that hydrogen peroxide is okay to clean a wound initially. Right. To make sure that it gets out uh, any kind of dirt and debris and bacteria. Yeah. But on a regular basis, it, it not only gets rid of bad tissue, it gets rid of good tissue. Correct. So it's not something that we want to do daily. Um, now, if you've got uh, some kind of um, device that a, a physician or a surgeon has put in that's like a pen or some, something of that nature, they may give directions to use hydrogen right. peroxide. Now, that's a different story. But for wound care... Uh, only for initial if it's needed. Right. I'm glad you. Um, I'm glad that you said that because that's what I teach my nursing students. So it always right. makes me feel good when I tell them the right thing. That's it. <laughs> All right, Clay. So I hope that uh, helps you out a little bit. And so the most important thing is if you feel like that wound's going to require advanced closure, then we probably need to be seen by somebody so that we can make sure we get it done uh, correctly to start with. All okay, right. Well, thanks a lot. You're welcome. All right, guys. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get to our callers that are still on the line so y'all hang on and if you do want to give us a call we do have some open lines our number is one mpb ring it's one 672 we'll be back in just a moment This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, and joining me today is Gail Harrell. She is also a nurse practitioner and is a wound care nurse practitioner. So we've been taking uh, your questions and comments today about skin infections and wound care. And if you want to give us a call and join in this conversation, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 And you can always email me at fit at mpbonline.org. All right, so we um, have been talking all about uh, wounds that have not healed well and how to close wounds and clean wounds. And I want to get to our caller who's been patiently waiting on us. That's Bill in Biloxi. Good morning, Bill. 
Bill? Bill, are you on with us? All right. We've got some difficulties with that, so we'll just press on, and I hope he'll give us a a ring back on that. So, uh, Gail, we were talking about hydrogen peroxide before the break, and... um, why it's okay for initial cleansing, so when the, that wound may be contaminated with something, um, but why it shouldn't be used uh, for daily cleaning. Um, what's the bubbling doing? What is that happening? That, that's, yeah, that's removing the uh, the uh, dead debris and um, any bacteria uh, that's within the wound. Right. And so sometimes folks will say, well, it still bubbles when I do it, so why not? Why don't I do it every single day? Well, it, just like you said, it's not only going to damage the uh, skin that may be what we call necrotic or, or dead and dying, um, but it can get rid of some of that normal tissue, too, and increase inflammation in that area, which if folks have been listening this morning, we know that prolonged inflammation is not a good thing for wound healing and wound care. So after that initial uh, injury, what should you clean? Uh, let's say you've, you've cut yourself and uh, it was not significant enough to require uh, stitches or anything like that. You were just able to put a bandage on it. What should that be cleansed with on a daily basis? Okay, typically I would say that, you know, if we don't worry about infection, if we're not worried about that, then just your normal, your water at your own home. Mm -hmm. Uh, I kind of shy away from any uh, antibacterial soap. Right. Now, a lot of people do recommend that, but the reason I don't is because, uh, typically speaking, it dries out everything around it as well. It does, And so it makes the skin uh, outside the uh, area very dry and makes it more susceptible to bacteria. Right. So I recommend anything that's mild or even just a, a warm uh, bath cloth, just, right. to, just to wipe it off gently. Uh, if you want to use soap, I usually recommend things like Dove or black soap. That's the same thing I recommend. Unscented Dove. Um, it's mm-hmm. uh, you don't want any of that scent for the reason that you just mentioned. It irritates the skin around the outside, and um, it's pretty well pH balanced so that it's not going to dry out the skin. Those antibiotic right. soaps are very very harsh um, on the skin. That's another tip for folks who may be dealing with eczema: is um, a lot of those scented soaps or the antibacterial soaps can really irritate the skin and dry it out and make that eczema uh, worse. So un scented uh, dove is a better option uh, for that or any of the unscented soaps there's a cetaphil out there that can uh, do well for folks with sensitive skin mm-hmm. that's correct all right let's uh, try bill and balexi good morning bill we'll try again that's we'll right i'm glad it worked <laughs> what can we do for you today uh unfortunately it's time for me to get a new baby a new what Knee. Oh, knee. I thought you said maid. I was like, what happened to the first (laughs) one? No, okay, knee. I need to get the first maid first. (laughs) Um, I'm a little concerned. My my best friend had uh, two knee replacements, Okay. not too far apart. They went in a third time, and he had an infection. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, he lost his knee, his Mm -hmm. uh, leg. So he's a, you know, he's BKA Mm -hmm. um, and has been for several years, and does pretty good on prosthesis, but in in his uh, surgeries and in his research, uh, he, the, one of the, the I guess more notable doctors, surgeons, uh, said that he should be sent home. That a knee surgery should be sent home with IV daily. With an IV. Um, with an IV, home IV. Okay. And I guess they got one of those that you can self 
administer. They're like a tennis ball or something. Yeah, they're a little, um, it's a compression ball that right. delivers the, the antibiotic at the appropriate right. infusion rate. But this, this uh, surgeon told him that anybody that doesn't go home with an IV, the practitioner should <laughs> kind of lose his license. Oh, no, that's a bold statement. Uh, yeah, it that is, is, that it is quite bold. I'll have to say because I'm, <laughs> not not only as a provider, but from a uh, personal person who's had both knees replaced, I, I did not go home with an IV. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I, I think it has to be geared to the individual, what's going on at the time of the surgery. Um, everyone doesn't go home with with IV mm-hmm. antibiotics. No. It all depends on what type of knee replacement is going to be done, what kind of hardware they're going to be using, and then the issues surrounding that individual patient. So there are going to be things that are going to make you more likely to um, have a more difficult rehab. Um, So if you're a smoker, that's going to make wounds heal less effectively. It's going to decrease the blood flow to that area. So you may not heal as well. You could have greater chance of infection. Um, If you have diabetes, in particular, if that diabetes is not well controlled, um, that can predispose you to um, a post-surgical infection. And so we would, uh, those folks might benefit from some home health, at least, um, if not some some after uh, antibiotics. Most of these orthopedic procedures are going to get antibiotics prior to surgery and intraoperatively um, that should take care of the average risk for most folks. Um, so, I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm not a smoker. So Good. That helps. And I, 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 I'm a, a long-term, I guess, diabetic, but it's totally uncontrolled and not even recognizable in, Good. in the, the A1C. Good. So, Good. Um, that, that's all important as well as, you know, your vascular health, the blood flow to the right. area, making yeah. sure that you do that. And then following those rehab instructions um, for when you're supposed to get up and move and how much weight to put on it and all of those different mm-hmm. types of things are going to give you the best outcome, as well as your nutrition. Um, I can't Absolutely. I can't underscore that enough that nutrition is so crucially important for um, pre-op as well as post-op uh, outcomes. Your, your protein level right. or your protein intake uh, should be uh, more than even normal right. because your body cells need a lot of protein to even work normally every day. But if you're under stress from a surgery, they need much more protein. Right. And that's meat and eggs. Right. And do protein the right way. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know uh, lean sources of protein don't necessarily um, think that means you go get um, the cheeseburger that has chicken, fried chicken breasts as the right. buns and, and all of those types of things. But you do want to increase, um, you know, your regular chicken breast or if you're not a meat eater, um, some of your plant based sources of protein um, as well. Right. Um, but, you know, I would be okay with folks requesting even a nutrition consult prior to um, having a surgical procedure that's going to have a a rehab process to it to make sure that that is optimized beforehand um, before you go into surgery. So those were great questions, and we do have a couple of open lines. So um, if you want to give us a call, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So I do want to talk about diabetes um, for uh, a, a moment, because I would imagine that you see a fair amount of patients with diabetes that are having wound issues. Is that 
a fair assumption? That is a fair assumption. <laughs> okay. well, I, have, I have a good many that have diabetic ulcers, right. and, they, and it's related to their diabetes, right. usually on their feet. Um, but also diabetes affects what other kinds of wounds you have to get well. Um, and in, you know, in, in, the, in the United States, we have around 9% of the population who have diabetes. Mm-hmm. In Mississippi, we have over 13%. Right. And so, you know, we have a much higher number of diabetics in Mississippi. So we have more people who have problems with wound healing uh, if they are a diabetic. Um, we, we really recommend that it, regardless of what their issue is about a wound, that keeping their diabetes under control makes them uh, at a much better advantage if they have to do any kind of wound healing. Right. And the higher it is, the more at risk they are for delayed or non-healing ulcers. Right. And that, I mean, that goes for any type of wound. You know, I've done exactly. a lot of work with um, the dental, dental school at UMC, um, helping them with their dental mission week and doing the medical triage for them. And that's one thing we check before we send those folks back is their blood sugar, because we do know if it's over a certain amount, then they may not be able to get that extensive dental work done right then because right. it's not going to heal. That's now, great. at the same time, if you've got a big old abscess tooth in there, it may be that inflammation that's causing the sugar to go high and that's a kind of a risk benefit thing you got to do but you know high sugar hyperglycemia it does prevent wound healing for various reasons but one in particular is that the white blood cells just don't respond as appropriately um, in the presence of of elevated sugars like that so you just can't get the fighters there that many people don't know when you have extended uh elevated blood sugar is the fact that it changes how your blood flow is to your extremities Mm -hmm. or anywhere. Uh, They get very stiff and narrow so that when you have uh, places out on your toes and feet, those little arterioles are so small that when they stiffen and narrow, there's almost no blood flow to those areas, even if you have a good dorsalis pedis pulse. Right. So those are all great things. And we're going to talk a little bit more about maybe how we prevent those wounds uh, with folks with diabetes. But we're going to take our last break of the hour. So now is your chance to call. And we do have a couple of callers on the line. So y'all hang with me and I'll be back with you in just a second on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, and joining me today is Gail Harrell. She is also a nurse practitioner and a wound care specialist, and we have been answering your questions about um, wound care and wound healing this hour, and we've had some great callers, and we've got a couple more on the line, and I want to get to those guys before we run out of time today, so I'm going to go ahead and go to Don in Louisiana. Good morning, Don. Good morning. How are you? I'm just fine. What part of Louisiana? Vidalia. All right. Like the onion? Yes, right across the bridge from Natchez. All right, fantastic. Well, thanks for giving us a call. What can we do for you today? Yes, I have a question concerning um, um, a growth that grows on my pinky toe. Okay. On my right foot. Uh, It grows between the pinky toe and the last toe. Uh, It's a skin and 
I've been going to the foot doctor, and he normally trims it down mm-hmm. um, and puts a pad in between it. Mm-hmm. But it's been it's been like that for several years, uh, probably twenty years or no or more. But I was calling to find out: is there anything that I could possibly do to rid myself of that because it's very painful when it when the skin grows? Okay. I, I did not hear the uh, problem that he has. It's a, he's got a little skin growth that's happening between his pinky toe and his fourth toe. It sounds like it may be more like a, like a corn that's forming in there. Is it hard? Yes, it does get hard uh, in the center. Okay. Um, and um, I tried those over-the-counter uh, remedies like corn. Mm-hmm. None of those work. Yeah. And those can actually be um, a little bit dangerous for folks that may have impaired circulation or diabetes because they're just acid that eat away um, at the stuff on the skin. So, um, Gail, he was saying that the podiatrist has been trimming uh, that and then putting a little pad in between there, but it keeps coming back. Is there anything else he can do for that corn? Probably the only thing that you can do uh, to get it really resolved is uh, to check with an orthopedic surgeon who would be willing to, uh, or, or I don't know of any general surgeon that would, but an orthopedic surgeon, if he was willing to do that, you have to get it down all the way to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that very well just by shaving in the clinic. Um, sometimes there are reasons why that's the only thing we do, as she said, because maybe the arterial flow is not well. Um, and so then we just do it as long as we can. But if you don't have those issues, you haven't gotten to the bottom of the core. And so a surgeon would need to do that in the orthopedic um, field. And the problem would be finding someone that would be agreeable to do it. Right. Okay. And, you know, the reason it keeps coming back is just friction. Those things friction. those things right. come back with pressure and friction. So the other things you'd want to make sure that y- your shoes are fitting correctly, especially in the toe box area, the, the front part of that shoe, that you've got enough room in there so that your toes aren't getting squished and making that uh, pressure and friction worse in that area. Um, sometimes the podiatrist can um, recommend a custom shoe um, be built for folks that are having some issues with that okay all right Don. One, one of the other things you can you can try to use that will help it won't resolve you can you can use these little um tubes of uh, like foam you can order them on mm-hmm. the internet that would fit that particular toe it will help relieve some of the friction mm-hmm. uh, and it fits well and you don't have to put you know gauze and tape right. and all of that right all right, Don, so I hope those things help you um, out a little bit with that. And we're going to move on to Starkville and uh, talk with Shirley this morning. Good morning. And good morning, and thank you for your program. Quite informative. Um, and um, I, I want to say that my hat is off to, uh, you know, I have actually two sisters who are retired nurses, and my hat is off to you for the wonderful job that you do. Uh, especially in wound care, because I used yes. to be greatly mis- mistaken that if a, a patient um, got a, 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 what they used to call bed sores or a wound uh, from prolonged, um, you know, uh, being immobile in uh, the hospital bed, that there was absolutely no cure. Well, I was proven wrong, and, and thank heaven I was. Um, my 99-year-old aunt 
was uh, she actually got the wound when she was in the hospital, and she was released from the hospital uh, to, uh, and I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, the hospice house in Cuyahoga, Tennessee. Um, and I, I, I see now also you just said that there's a connection between the healing of the wound and uh, the protein. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they, they started pureeing her food because she wasn't eating well. Right. And they started pureeing her food and, you know, the well-balanced uh, uh, plate each time and um, with many nutrients. And that wound healed. I, I was amazed. Yes, ma'am. Uh, all right. Oh, I think we've lost you, Shirley, but I agree 100% that protein and nutrition is super important for a healthy uh, wound healing. And my gosh, we're out of time. That went by quick. I want to thank uh, Gail Harrell for joining me today. And if you didn't get your question in, you can always email me at fit at mpbonline.org. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.